This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, John Gorzinski shares his inspiration, knowledge, and humor about the practice of sustainable agriculture and the importance of diversity. John took the time to speak with me this year when I visited him on his ornery farm in Koshekton Center, New York. All of that coming up on today's Farming Country. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Nora Rahm. Russia is condemning an agreement between the G7 leading industrialized nations and Australia to place a $60 price cap per barrel on its oil exports. The move is meant to limit Moscow's ability to finance its war in Ukraine. Yet as NPR's Charles Maines reports, Russian officials argue the real risk is to Europe's energy security. In the run-up to the G7 oil cap deal, Russia threatened to simply stop selling to participating countries, with Europe set to take the brunt of it. In a post to social media, former President Dmitry Medvedev, now a member of Russia's Security Council, posted an image of actor Jack Nicholson freezing at the end of the film The Shining and suggested Europe had chosen the same fate this winter. Meanwhile, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said Russia would not accept the price cap, but was analyzing its next steps. President Vladimir Putin has warned the impending deal could royal global markets. The G7 says the price cap could take effect as soon as Monday, coinciding with an EU embargo on Russian oil shipped by sea. Charles Maines, NPR News, Moscow. Scandal hit South African President Cyril Ramaphosa is reportedly considering how to hang on after it looked like he might resign over a report he had broken anti-corruption laws. Kate Bartlett has more in the story. There were reports this weekend that Ramaphosa, on the brink of quitting just two days ago, is now preparing to contest allegations of wrongdoing regarding a robbery at his farm and potentially millions of dollars. The money had been stuffed in a sofa, but Ramaphosa denies he did anything wrong. Members of Ramaphosa's party met Friday, but the gathering collapsed shortly after it started when the president was a no-show. On Tuesday, members of Parliament will debate the report and whether Ramaphosa should face impeachment. For NPR News, I'm Kate Bartlett in Johannesburg. Elon Musk's rapid changes at Twitter are risking the safety of its most vulnerable users around the world. That's according to the social network's former head of trust and safety, who resigned last month. NPR's Shannon Bond reports. Yoel Roth spent nearly eight years at Twitter, working to keep users safe while allowing them to speak out, even against their own governments. But in an interview with NPR's All Things Considered, he says Elon Musk is moving fast and breaking things at Twitter, including the safety of its users. I think people need to very thoughtfully and carefully weigh the costs and benefits of using Twitter, given their personal security situation. When Musk bought the company in October and laid off half its workforce, Roth stuck around. But he says working for Musk became impossible because the billionaire makes decisions based on his own whims instead of Twitter's policies and principles. Twitter says it's still working to keep users safe. Shannon Bond, NPR News. This is NPR News from Washington.
This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farming Country. Coming up on today's show, John Gorzinski shares his inspiration, knowledge, and humor about the practice of sustainable agriculture and the importance of diversity. John took his time to speak with me earlier this year when I visited the Ornery Farm in Koshekton Center, New York. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. My name is John Gorzinski, also known as the Ornery Farmer, uh, presently operating the Gorzinski Organic Farm LLC with my son Timothy, who is now the main person here. <laughs> I'm slowly stepping back and letting him take the reins and greatly enjoying him take the reins with both hands and, and enjoying it and uh, making very capable decisions. So we've been here for uh, 40 years now. I bought the farm, my wife and I, and well, she wasn't my wife when I bought the farm in 1982. Uh, shortly after I purchased the farm, we got married and uh, moved into the community here in Koshekton Center, which is part of Koshekton Township. I feel like we were received with such open arms and became not part of the community, but part of the family here. And this little village, town, and county that received us so with such welcome arms has led my wife, I can think I can speak for her, at least for me, it's been so wonderful to be here, to be able to not only breathe the fresh air, but to, to enjoy breathing the fresh air with everybody else here and enjoying the drinking water that we have grown to, to love and to protect. So anyhow, why I'm, I'm growing now is pretty much why I was growing when I helped my mama with the garden back home in New Milford, New Jersey, when I was about four years old and spending more time with the ants than I was paying attention to the kohlrabi and tomatoes that we were planting. Uh, and then later that year, I was out in the farm fields with my father, who was finishing the farming years of my grandfather's farm in Oradell, New Jersey growing sweet corn and pansies until the farm was developed and 400 houses were planted where he had once planted radishes and chicory and escarole and spinach and brought it into the Bronx Terminal Market for decades. And all of the predecessors that spent time at the Bronx Ferry Farm and the Madison Square Farm in the Koppelman side of my family. So it's wonderful to be able to continue on market gardening here, supplying myself, my family, and the neighbors with the most wholesome food that I can grow economically and stay financially viable uh, doing so. I like to joke with my customers when they tell me how hard I work. I say, oh, 
Since I started farming, I haven't worked a day. I, I play all day long. The only day that I work is when I have to take your money. <laughs> Life's been beyond wonderful. You speak with such reverence, and it's like a spiritual consciousness that you have, and it, it shows up not only on your face, but in your vegetables. I've eaten many of them, and I'm, I'm grateful. And I'm sure all the market customers appreciate your food, too. It sounds like uh, you said Timothy, your son, is picking up the reins, much like the way you did with your father on his farm. Were you really hoping for that? Did he volunteer to, to just step up to the plate? I never forced my children to work on the farm. I always added a financial incentive to them that nobody else in the area would match what I paid them, not only financially for money in their pocket, but so that they could start saving towards college. So it was an ulterior motive because half of their money went into their college fund. <laughs> but we made it mandatory that they work three days on the farm. Then they could have the keys for the car and go work someplace else if they wanted to above and beyond which they all took an opportunity to do that. And then that progressed where they moved off of the farm. And, you know, Tim, he went on to work full-time at a number of different businesses in the area, coffee shops and uh, for a, a manufacturing, cutting, operation, fabrication that built 900 units for the subway system in New York City while he was working for them. And he trained a number of other people to take over his job on the uh, computer-operated device that can pick its own instruments for cutting and had 40 different instruments for cutting whatever type of metal or material uh, it was working with at the time. So he, he did all of that and came back to the farm in the main season, you know, to help me out a little bit here and there. When he, he went to market... He was so overwhelmed with how appreciative our customers were for what we were doing and, and the quality of product that we were bringing that he was won over that, hey, he'd rather be here than any place else where people really didn't appreciate on the same depth, on the same number of levels of life. It's not just the social, it's not just the economic that we do actually make a, a decent enough living here. But, you know, it's that we don't have to go to the, uh, to the gym and work out. We're getting all the exercise we need right here. You know, we work our hours and work in an atmosphere that's not always totally pleasant, but is always more than interesting. The diversity that the farm has imposed on me and the economics that imposed diversity on me to be able to stay in business for the many decades now that I've been doing it. I mean, I could look at it from any perspective, be it from the uh, overall ecological system, from more of a religious type appreciation, the, the sharing, you know, that we do with folks. It's so beyond rewarding that I can't imagine why there's so few people doing it. But good for us because we'll be able to get e easier for us to get prices that we can stay in business and afford with the price, the crazy prices that things are going through right now.
Um, and yeah, we set up a trust. Uh, I think that was done two or three years ago now with my son as the owner in, uh, I think it was 10 years that we set it up and my other two children oversee the trust along with him and make the decisions relevant to it. And then we set the business up as an LLC at that time too, because that's what all the lawyers and everybody's been trying to get me to do for the last 40 years. Being ornery took my son to make that decision and to push that, to make the farm transition a little bit easier. Psychologically, it relieves people of a little bit of uh, fear of litigation. I actually feel that we want to be accountable for all of our actions. An LLC is a friggin' legalese of relieve you of liability, which is totally contrary to my beliefs. I, I want to be responsible and accountable for, for everything that I do here. I, I've heard the term and seen the term for decades now of the seventh generation. Just like the term organic, I don't use either of those terms lightly. And I try to meet what they are in my own mind. And I know I'll, I'll never be capable, but I keep trying to, to up the game. Your background is very big. And, and I have to say at this point, I'm glad that Tim has the diversity in his background to come to the farm with that background diversity, like you say, you meet challenges every day, the diversity, face what people have to do with the challenges. And that being said, what kind of challenges are happening for you right now? We just came through this pandemic. If it hasn't ended already, uh, the whole planet is just jumping with challenges um, when I arrived here today, you were working on your tractor from 1993, giving it an oil change, and you're so proud of it that it was your only new tractor. How does it feel now to be in this supply chain problems, all of it? What's happening for you? The challenges are uh, every day and, you know, similar to what they were when we started I always feel that challenges are a big part of life, that complacency isn't particularly a good thing. You know, it's nice to be able to sit back for a couple of minutes every day <laughs> and feel complacent about something. Maybe I think too much. Part of my human nature is to try to do better. And maybe it was just something that was imbued in me by my family I really, truly feel that it's part of our genetic makeup. Yeah, diversity is a big word, you know, and I use it in so many different ways on so many levels of, of the farm operation in my life. I gave workshops for a couple of decades, and that was always one of the workshops was, you know, on the diversity and how it saved my farm repeatedly for many different reasons in many different seasons and how it adds more of a human scale to the entire operation. Uh, and to me, it makes it more rewarding than sitting in a factory doing the same damn thing every day. I don't consider that humanity or forcing that type of labor on anybody. A lot of times people are forced to do things for economic reasons. You know, diversity is, is a great thing for the human spirit. Challenges are a good thing to keep you on, on your tippy toes, not only mentally, but physically as well. 
big challenge last week was uh, our truck was t- told to us that it was in imminent danger of engine failure one year after the warranty wore up on the second engine that was put in it by a uh, unnamed company which the truck division is bankrupt and parts won't be available for in three years and when you started trying to shop around you couldn't find a truck available period it was three to eight months to wait for delivery for something that might meet your needs on most things that you needed it for so we were forced into making a decision and we just paid more for a used truck than i paid for the farm 40 years ago (laughs) so challenges are what they are and uh, every week brings a new set of challenges and you wear so many different hats when you're a farmer when you're you're living in a rural area and our area isn't really that rural. There are a lot of other people around. In other places, farmers that I've met are virtually days from the nearest shops and uh, mechanics. And you, you learn how to become self-reliant and kind of jury-rig any and everything together or figure out a different way of doing things and working with what you have at hand. I know that you're a wealth of knowledge. I'm aware of of a lot of your past. And you mentioned that you did workshops. Do you serve now on any boards in terms of agricultural significance to help people try to really get what you know? I did all of that for, for decades, virtually. I was Farm Bureau president in the county for 19 years. I was first chair of the NOFA, New York Governing Council. I was a founding member of it. It took us three years to found the organization before I even lived in New York State. I was involved in putting that organization together. Was the chair for the first three years and sat on the board for 25 or 30 years. When the government took over the word organic, we tried to continue to fight to make the standards at least close to what they had been and to what international standards were. I was down to just one board that I was on, which was the Farmland Protection Committee here in the county. They kind of appointed me as chair of that. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm the chair of the Farmland Protection Committee in Sullivan County. And that's it. Well, I'm sure Sullivan County is grateful to have you. I wanted to ask you, your vegetables are good for many reasons, but do you think there's something about your farm and the particular soil that you have here that makes what you grow so delicious? The latest science indicates that there's 10 billion reasons in each cupful of soil. And when you've been trying to treat and feed the soil for 40 years, you can kind of multiply that exponentially by each year that you've been there. (laughs) I, I know for certain that the care and the love that my son adds something else to it, the cycle is the circle of of life feeding the soil with death 
for the new life, you know, and seeds and animals, everybody in the big circle. It, it's the big circle of life and trying to respect that. The word diversity comes in again. The more diverse your operation is, the more diversity of plant material that you have also exponentially increases everything on the farm. You know, the simple answer is uh, if you want to call it the God-given, if you want to call them Allah, you want to call them Mother Nature, uh, whatever, you know, the uh, other spirit is that really set this whole unbelievable web up of the genetic diversity and the viruses that act as the, the balancing act of the whole thing. I haven't heard any scientists say that, that the viruses are actually the balancing, but in reality, overpopulation always leads to some viral or other microbiological stabilizing factor. That's all the big, the big circle of life and the balancing uh, and uh, trying to respect all of the other diversity. So by going out of my way and continuing to go out of my way to increase the diversity of crops on the farm, uh, but also the allowance of plants and creatures that uh, we might not see any benefit to, just adds. When I listened to the USDA topsoil scientist east of the Mississippi give a talk to a three-day program of farmers working along with top scientists through NOFA and through the Sustainable SARE group to come up with a, a better way of testing soils relevant to the life rather than just the chemical breakdowns of availabilities to the long-term life, tilth, and ecological biodiversity that's in the soil. She said that we have named 6% of the soil organisms and we know what 2% of them do that we actually know more about deep ocean life than we do about the soil that our entire civilization is based on she went on to talk about she wouldn't call it the lack of respect you know showed the soil uh, with the addition of, of chemical compounds. I always kind of jokingly called it, if, uh, if it makes a worm squirm, it ain't good. <laughs> and uh, through that whole process of three days, they rarely called on me, but every time I was called on, I said, can't we just count the worm population? <laughs> can't we count how many wormholes there are per square foot? Isn't that a really simple way? I had two buddies, each who were big boys. I'm pretty little. When I'm standing next to West Gillingham, we got the vermologist pinned in the corner and wouldn't let him leave. And he said, yeah, that's a great answer. But if I said that out loud, I'd be out of a job. And so would all of the other scientists. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, that's what... A whole lot of things are about people, you know, want to study things and want to make a job for themselves and feel important. And we all are in our own rights. And uh, 
you know, respect should be shown to people for whatever it is that they feel they need to do, even though it doesn't seem relevant to all of us. It is part of our cultural, sociological makeup, you know, to have the arts and the music and everything else just blends and makes life so much more. However you want to put all of the cultural changes of the last couple of decades, we're all individuals, and all we got to do is show a little bit of respect to all of the other individuals, just like we do to, hopefully, all other life and life forms. It's pretty simple. And the seventh generation, you know, before you take a step, if you want to go by Buddha, you look before you take a step and crush a bug. <laughs> Try to step around other life forms, you know, and, and be aware. And at least being aware makes you feel a little bit more in awe of the multiplicity uh, that we've been given. You know, you want to do everything you can to make it less of a gamble. And uh, the, the better you treat your soil, the better your soil is going to treat you. Thank you so much for taking the time, your time to speak with us. Before we close, is there anything else you'd like to say? I know we could sit here for days. <laughs> but at this moment... I, I love to joke with my customers when they say, you should write a book. And I say, well, which thing do you want me to write the book about? You know, and which things do I get to write a volume about? Keep your minds open. Do as much research as you can. It's so easy to push a button nowadays and Google stuff, but don't always believe what you see there either. Uh, check your sources. Gamble with what you can afford to lose. Because you will. You'll, you'll lose it sometimes, you know, but the diversity on my farm is what saved my farm a multitude of times. <laughs> For WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr in Koshekton Center at the Gorzinski Farm, speaking with John Gorzinski. John Gorzinski from the Ornery Farm in Koshekton Center, New York, is part of the project YI Farm, which is on display for the month of December in the Digital Gallery at the Union in Narrowsburg, New York. This production highlights the inspiration of local farmers. YI Farm is curated by Pat Carullo with photography by Woody Goldberg and audio interviews by Radio Catskill volunteer Rosie Starr. that you enjoyed our show this week produced by a Radio Catskill volunteer. Special thanks goes to our guest, John Gorzinski from the Ornery Farm in Koshekton Center, New York. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania.
Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org. Hi, I'm NPR climate reporter Lauren Summer. If you're thinking your next car will be electric, you can double your good karma by donating your old car to this station. Not only could you have a smaller carbon footprint, your old car will help fund more of NPR's award-winning environmental coverage. It's double karma. Upgrade your car and turn your old one into more news. Here's how. We accept any vehicle. Donate at WJFFradio.org. Hey there, this is Jennifer.